0: Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now.
3: Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible. If you've been reading the Bible and something has come up that you've been confused about or curious about, we'd love to hear from you, and hopefully we can help you answer some of those questions. Or if there's something going on in your life that you would like some pastoral counsel or advice on. We'd love to talk with you and we'd love to pray with you. So if you have prayer requests, also give us a call 303-690-3000. It's 303 or text us at 720-336-0897. We want to welcome those of you listening in Colorado and Wyoming on Grace FM, as well as everyone who is tuning in today on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. And of course, we want to welcome those who are listening on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. It's just great to see how God is growing the uh, reach of this radio program. And so many people are tuning in and getting to call in, get clarification on their questions, be prayed for. So we're so glad to see God blessing and growing this ministry. Just a reminder to those of you listening on the East Coast and the area around Tennessee, you're hearing this program on a one-week delay. So um, we would still love for you to call in with your questions and your prayer requests. We'd love to continue praying for you. And what you can do in that case is that you get to tune in the following week and you get to listen to yourself on the radio uh, and tell your friends to tune in as well. But just keep that in mind. Those of you on the East Coast and in Tennessee, you're hearing the show on a one week delay. And we also want to give a big hello to everyone who's tuning in online. We know there are so many of you who tune in via the mobile app or the website. If you don't have that mobile app yet, you should definitely go get it. So go in your app store, whether you use Android or or iPhone, you can go in your app store and you can just type in Grace FM in the search bar in the app store and it will come right up. You put that on your phone and you will be able to listen over the internet. Wherever you are in the world. So even if you travel outside of the US, you'll be able to listen to the show live. So it's an awesome opportunity with that app. And you can also tune in anywhere in the world uh, online at gracefm.com. So you can always just go to the website in your browser and listen right there in your browser at gracefm.com. Again, my name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, and I'm your host every Monday here on Calvary Live. Just a little bit about myself. you know, I'm a pastor of this church in in uh, Longmont, Colorado, we meet in downtown Longmont um, right at 700 Longs Peak Avenue. So we're right on the corner of Longs Peak and Kaufman, northwest corner of Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street in downtown Longmont. That's the St. Vrain Memorial Building is what the building is called. And it is right on the edge of Roosevelt Park. So It's a historic building in downtown Longmont. It's um, right on the edge of Roosevelt Park, the city park here in Longmont. And we would love for you to come and worship with us, or if you have friends or family who live in the Longmont area, even if you don't, send them our way. God's doing a great thing at Whitefields, and it's just a time of strength and growth, and uh, we we just really feel God's blessing is upon us, and we'd love to have you be a part of it. So come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at Whitefields Community Church in downtown Longmont. Our website, whitefieldschurch.com, that's Whitefields with an S, whitefieldschurch.com. And you can also go on there, listen to some of our older messages, our, our past messages. Currently, we're studying through Romans, and so you can get caught up with uh, some of the past studies if you're going to join us, especially, or if you'd just like to hear some of those, you can, anybody can go there, and it's all free content. And uh, you can also hear me on this station, Grace FM, on weekdays at 2.30 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for our show, which is called Life in the Field. It's kind of an allusion to the fact that we live our lives on God's mission field. So let's go to our first caller, Janelle in Colorado Springs. Hi Janelle, welcome to the program.
1: Hi there. Um my question pertains to um in Matthew chapter six, where Jesus is saying, By their fruits you shall know them. Mm-hmm. And he talks about a good tree cannot bring forth a corrupt fruit, neither right. can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. And it says, By their fruits ye shall know them. Well my question is A lot of the cults bring forth what some people would call good fruits. They either have a good family life or they're good charitably to other people. Even some of the churches that we would consider maybe marginal Mm -hmm. in their doctrine that we would not consider a cult still bring forth good fruit in, in the one context. So I'm just curious what that word fruit exactly entails from... The original language and how we can apply that truth, because it's easy to get uh, a false illusion that because somebody does good works, they're bringing forth good fruit.
3: Yeah, no, that's a great example that you bring up, and I would just encourage you with this, that yes, you're right, Jesus does say, you know, good and bad fruit, um, it follows the tree, right? But so, The other thing is that I think that you could go in and you could make a case for this in the Bible that um, there are a lot of people who come in and and they, from all appearances, they were what we would call good people. And yet that doesn't mean that they're saved. And I think it's actually really one of the most important messages that we need to preach in our culture. You know that Jesus talked to to the Pharisees and he said, you guys are whitewashed tombs. You look awesome on the inside, but on the inside... There's nothing but death. And, um, yeah. you know, if you, if you would have been a person in Jesus' time, you would have looked at the Pharisees, and you would have thought, these people are impeccable, right? Like, there's, they, they keep the law to a T. In fact, they keep stuff that's even beyond the law. Like, they go yeah. way out of their way. And Jesus makes it very clear, and I think this is one of the, the most important messages that we as uh, Christians today need to make sure that we communicate in our culture. Because, you know, I think that we we have made it very clear that, right, like, people who are really messed up need to be saved. And I almost think that people who are not Christians, they don't disagree with that. Like, sometimes you'll hear people say, (laughs) like, yeah, you know, hey, that's cool that that person got religion or that that person got saved. Or like, yeah, you know, you Christians, that's awesome that you go into the jails and minister to people. But, you know, who else needs the gospel is, like, just moral people who— who are living good lives, paying their bills, taking their kids to school on time, and being decent people. Because the gospel is, is that every person has fallen short of the glory of God, and exactly. therefore we are unrighteous. So that's the case that Paul makes, is that even the best person out there is unrighteous, meaning that we, we don't measure up to God's righteousness. And because of that, it says the wrath of God is coming against all unrighteousness. And so, wow. Wow. Uh, that that would be my, my big point with that, is just to say, yeah, you're right. I, I would just say that this is part of it, right, the good and bad fruit thing. But it's certainly not all of the gospel, right? And it's not all of how we determine who needs Jesus. Exactly. And, and I would say, you know, we want to use that passage about good and bad fruit in the right context. And maybe we use a different discussion, like Paul's discussion in Romans 1 and 2, about righteousness versus unrighteousness in a different discussion maybe with somebody who's very moral we point them to that the discussion with paul in romans like one through three yes and, and another thing that we might do is uh you know one of my favorite and i think often uh, misunderstood or only half understood parables is the parable of the um, the prodigal son because you know that parable is not primarily about how the bad son needed to repent and the father received him that's part of it but it's only half of yeah, it yeah exactly and, and maybe not even the the key to the whole story because if you read the context right who's he talking to he's talking to the pharisees <laughs> yeah who didn't like it that he was hanging out with the sinners right and the end of the parable is this great irony where the immoral son has Returned, he's repented because the immoral son at least knew that he needed to repent. Exactly. In that way, the immoral son was almost in a better position than the moral son.
1: Uh, Yeah, he was.
3: Yeah, a safer position at least because at least he admits that he needs to be forgiven. He's done something wrong. The older son is almost blind to the fact that he too has a has a uh, bad relationship with the father in the sense that he only wants the father to also give him things in the sense he's also following the same exact sin as the younger son yes right because the younger son said dad I don't really love you I only want what you can give me and but the older son is doing the exact same thing he's just going at it from a different angle he's trying to be good so that he can get what he wants from his father but it's not about his father in the end of the day it's about him still
1: it sure is
3: Wow. And then and then the, the great irony of the parable is that how does the story end? The younger son, who had gone and been immoral, he ends up inside the house with the father, enjoying the party. The older son, who feels like he's owed more by the father than he's given, ends up outside the house and estranged from the father. And maybe the biggest thing that I realized about that parable was the last time I taught it. I realized it doesn't actually tell you how the how the the problem is resolved, right? So it leaves you with a cliffhanger. The cliffhanger is, is the older son going to accept the father's invitation to come into the house, or is he not? And I think that is the beauty of the parable, is that it leaves the moralistic person with this uh, message that says, not only do crazy sinner bad people who live in trash cans and shoot drugs in their eyeballs and murder the president not only do they need the gospel but so do good moral people who follow all the rules and yet they are not right with the father either like both of you need the gospel and the question is will you go into the house will you humble yourself enough to go into the house where the father is inviting you
1: hallelujah that's awesome
3: yeah, I think so too, Janelle. It's, it's really one of those uh, passages that gets me excited.
1: Yeah. Oh man, you could do a whole series on that.
3: Oh, I sure have. And there's a oh, oh. there's a great book that's written on that parable. If you've ever read uh, Tim Keller's book on it, called The Prodigal God, um, you would probably love it.
1: Oh, that would be awesome.
3: That yeah, check that out.
1: Awesome. Yes, I sure will. Thank you so much. You I bet, sure you know. appreciate it.
3: You bet. God bless you. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Katie from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. We have one open line now that Janelle dropped, so give us a call, 303-690-3000. That's 690 3000 Let's go to Ethan in Lafayette, Colorado. Hi, Ethan. Welcome to the program. Ethan, are you there? Okay, I don't hear Ethan. We'll we'll come back to him in a minute. Let's go to Margaret in Arvada, Colorado. Hey, Margaret. Margaret, not hearing you either. Okay, we're going to go over to our text line. Hopefully we can get these calls worked out. But in the meantime, I think we still have one open line. The number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us, 720 336 097. Look, while we're getting those calls worked out, um, I'll just tell you what we've been studying this past Sunday at Whitefields. It was a it was a great Sunday. You know, we've been studying through Paul's letter to the Romans on Sunday mornings here at Whitefields in Longmont, and uh, we just got into this section for the past three weeks where we're looking at kind of the implications of the gospel, right? So Paul says that here is the gospel. He goes through it for for 11 chapters and then in chapter 12 he takes a hard turn and he says okay now because those things are true therefore and you know the key right when you're reading the bible whenever you see the word therefore you got to ask the question what's that therefore therefore and so the therefore is therefore this. It says, you know, all this stuff that's come before the gospel, right? That you have, you are unrighteous, but God has given you his righteousness in Christ. He has taken your sins upon himself. He has given you his righteousness in Jesus. He's adopted you as a uh, son and an heir. He has given you the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you. And beyond all that, he's just given you a great uh, inheritance. So, um, all that, and then he says, okay, now in in light of all that, here's how I want you to live. And he says, you know, I want you to give your body and your mind all that you are over to God. And then chapter 12, it's all about how our relationships are transformed by the gospel. And then chapter 13, the really the big topic is how do we live as citizens of heaven who live here on earth, right? This idea that we're, as Christians, we're dual citizens. We're citizens of heaven, but we still live here on earth. And he talks about how we relate to um, the government and and uh, how do we relate? How do we understand the police? And if somebody sins against me and I'm supposed to forgive them, then what about if uh, does that mean I don't call the police? And so we saw that. No, that that's not what it means, that you are absolutely to forgive somebody. But if somebody sins against you in the sense that they if they go to the level of committing a crime, then you actually should uh, report that crime, because uh, it says in verse four of Romans 11 or Romans 13, chapter chapter 13, verse four, he says, for the. ...authority is God's servant for your good, and he is the servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So he says that government has a a right and legitimate place in the world. Then he goes on to talk about how we relate to culture... And the way that we relate to culture is that we live in the world, but we're not of the world. We live in this world as missionaries, as sojourners, but also as representatives. So it's just a great study we had in Romans fourteen or in thirteen, and in chapter fourteen we're going to be getting into this idea of rethinking who is the strong believer versus who is the weak believer, and this idea that the strong believer is actually the one who shows deference to the others. So it's a it's a great section. Looking forward to. Getting into that um, in this coming Sunday and in weeks beyond. So let's go to Ethan. Looks like we got this sorted out. Ethan in Lafayette, Colorado. Hi, Ethan. Welcome to the program.
4: Hi. How's it going? Doing great. Well, um, I I was taking my Religion thirteen O one class at Baylor University, and one of the things that was taught was that there is no archaeological evidence left behind by the hundreds of thousands of Israelites and Moses when they left Egypt during the exile and parted part of the Red Sea and defeated the Pharaoh's armies. And I was just wondering why that was taught to us in Sunday school um, as a fact-based product of, of the Bible.
3: Yeah. Well, Ethan, the reason for that is because the Bible itself has held up historically. You know, what's interesting is that as, you know, archaeology is a relatively new... Science or even if it's truly a science, it's more of a field of study, right? That is a relatively new field of study It has only really existed post-enlightenment, right? So I mean especially picking up in the 1800s and and really being coming very popular in the 1900s And so when you consider how young the study of archaeology is and you consider that as year to year uh, more things are being found all the time that give archaeological evidence to the veracity of the Bible for example, um, I am planning to go to Israel in March, and I will be speaking at a place called Tel Dan, which is in northern Israel. And uh, I don't want to get into all the history, but it's like the, North, the two uh, kingdoms of Israel split during the time of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. And during that time, right, so the northern tribes, they formed kind of their own temple ...in the northern kingdom, and that's at this place called Tel Dan, which has been found. And up there, they also found a gate that's 4,000 years old that had a marking on it that mentions Abraham. Okay, so that was found in the last five years. Here's another one. It says in uh, the Gospel of John, it talks about this place called the Pool of Siloam. It's another place that we're going to visit, and again, where I'm going to be speaking... What's crazy about the Pool of Siloam is that people read uh, the description there in John chapter 5 and they looked at the city of Jerusalem. And they said, well, there is no place like that here. Like we know it gives actual geographical markers in the city and says, you know, here's this place. Here's this place. And right there was the Pool of Siloam. And people looked around and they even dug down a couple layers and they did not find any evidence of that until this was probably about 20 years ago. They dug down even further and guess what they found? They found exactly what the Bible said. So as archaeology has been uh, progressing as a relatively new area of study, continually they are finding more and more things. You know, one of the things, if you would have studied um, 50 years ago, in school, you know what your comparative religions class would have told you? It would have told you that you can't trust the Bible because there's no nation called the Hittites. And yet the Bible's constantly talking about the Hittites and talking about where they lived. And then guess what? They found entire Hittite civilizations. And so, Ethan, I mean, this idea that just because they haven't found any um, evidence. And, and by the way, keep in mind that these people were slaves. And, you know, the thing about slaves is they don't own a lot of stuff. Okay, so let's say you're a slave and, you know, like think about Moses. What did he own that the Bible tells us? It says that he owned a stick and he used that stick for a lot of different things. Um, So, I mean, I'm not really sure what evidence you expect to find other than sticks, um, maybe some shoes. But don't you think those shoes would have dissolved over the last three thousand years? I mean, it, it's really not proof against the Bible. The fact that there has been no archaeological evidence that um, uh, of Moses leading the people of Israel out of exile. Now, there are actually some evidences. Now, they're disputed because really any archaeology, what we're doing is trying to recreate uh, a scenario based on very little evidence. And that's the other thing about archaeology is that it is, there is a lot of, I don't want to call it guesswork because it's not guessing. It's educated uh, work, but sometimes what you have to work with is very little. And so uh, there are some writings in Egypt which speak of foreign peoples being brought there as slaves. And so that would be considered some evidence, especially by Jewish scholars, absolutely consider that as evidence of um, presence of Israelites in Egypt. So all that to say, Ethan... I, I would encourage you not to be dis, not to be totally convinced by this this one piece of religion at Baylor University. And I, I would just remind you that there are um, lots of other. Uni- I, I myself uh, am in a master's program right now, studying uh, religion and history and things like that. And so there's a lot more information out there. I would just encourage you to look into it and look up some of the archaeological evidence for the Bible, because there's quite a lot.
4: What about the archaeological evidence uh, regarding Noah's Ark that's been found?
3: You know, I have heard about that stuff up in uh, eastern Turkey. And again, that, that's a lot of speculation. We don't know that what's been found is actually Noah's Ark. And I, I think that as Christians, sometimes we can get so excited that, hey, you know, this thing has been found. And, and therefore, you know, some pieces of wood were found on the side of a mountain really high up. And you know it it would maybe match up with what the Bible describes and um, and all of that and and maybe it is but you know I think that we need to have the uh, integrity intellectually to wait and see and not uh, and, and and make sure that that you know if we're gonna stake our flag on something that we actually have something concrete before we do that
4: okay I, I, I hear 100% what you're saying, man. And I really appreciate you answering my question. And um, awesome. Thank
3: you. I appreciate your call and your, uh, your asking the question, Ethan. I'm sure that you're not the only one who has such a question. So, so God bless you. You too. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. Let's go to Margaret in Arvada, Colorado. Hi there, Margaret. We lost Margaret once and now we got her back and we lost her again. So I see a note here about Margaret's question. So I'm just going to answer that question. Hopefully, Margaret, you're listening. It says, how do you comfort a 106-year-old that doesn't want to be here anymore? Uh, Margaret, I'm assuming this is a family member and and you're really struggling or a friend and you're really maybe struggling to um, speak to this person and they just want to be gone. They want to leave this world. I'd really encourage you to um, to help this person to trust God. And the other thing that they, they can know is that they, they probably don't have much time here left here on earth. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul, he struggled with that too, to the point where there are some people who wonder if the Apostle Paul was actually kind of suicidal in the sense that he talks so much about wanting to... <laughs> Go away from this earth that some people have wondered. Wow was this guy. Did he really want to die like that bad? and um, You know, I I would refer to those kind of passages But Paul fortunately Kind of walks us through his own thoughts and how he speaks to himself and I think that would be a really important thing is that um, We need to not only listen to our I mean actually sorry much, many of our problems in life come from listening to ourselves rather than speaking to ourselves, and the Bible actually gives us a lot of instruction about speaking to ourselves. It's even even in uh, some circles it's called self-talk, but speaking to ourselves. You can see this with David, you know, where he gets depressed and then he speaks to himself and he says, "Why are you cast down, O my soul? Trust in the Lord and and, and take comfort in Him." And so I would just encourage you to speak truth into. Uh, This family member or friends life encourage them to trust in God encourage them that if God has left them here for this time He even has a purpose with these years that they're uh, living now and that soon and very soon uh, This life will be over. I would encourage you to make sure that this person um Make sure that they have made their peace with God, so to say, that they they have uh, truly accepted and received the gospel. And and perhaps they're here for that purpose or perhaps they're here for uh, another purpose, something that God has for them. We don't know that. And I don't know if we can always know that. But uh, I would just encourage you to keep on being there for this person, comforting them by speaking the truth into the their life. So, God bless you as you do that. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We're coming up on our break, but let's go ahead and go to our next caller, who is Stephen in Aurora, Colorado. Hi, Stephen. Welcome to the program.
5: Hey, Pastor Nick. Thanks so much for taking my call. Yeah, absolutely. Um, What's up? Yeah, I've been really blessed by your uh, your message. There. I think you're in the book of Samuel. I've uh, been listening to that. been meaning to Talk to you for the couple past couple of weeks to encourage you about that, but yeah, I've been really blessed about that. Just on the side note,
3: oh, that's awesome! Thanks.
5: Yeah, you got it. Um, so anyhow, my my wife and her um, women's study group has been studying the book of Genesis, and she's been uh, really, really blessed by it. And she came um, to me and she asked me about something that I've never really thought of and how it speaks of on the sixth day God creating the uh, the animals and then mankind, and then it says how it says like He created man and woman both alike I think something like that mm-hmm. um, and, and it, it kind of refers to that as being on the sixth day um, mm-hmm. but however we know that Adam was created first uh, and then Eve was later on created we don't know how long Adam was in the garden before Eve was created it doesn't say uh, but then on this you know right there it says on the sixth day kind of and my, what my wife was kind of curious about that and I'm just like oh that's that's a good one I never thought of that maybe I'll you know, call the guys up and uh, ask them about that
3: yeah, so my opinion is that it was on the sixth day. Um, it says there, you know, that God created man, and it says, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And uh, and I get your point, though. It does seem like uh, some time had gone by in the sense that... Um, so chapter 1, here's some things to keep in mind. Chapter 1, in Hebrew, is written as... Uh, in a form of poetry and it's actually considered a poem by Hebrews uh, Hebrew scholars right? they call it the poem or the song of creation I'm sorry that that is what it, the Hebrew scholars refer to it as the song of creation and then in chapter two it describes that uh, that sixth day of creation in greater detail right where it goes into a more prosaic form And it describes it in more detail and describes how god lovingly planted this garden right and then he placed the man in it and then from him you know he looked at him and said it's not good that he should be alone from him he created a helper fit for him i believe that's still describing the sixth day um just because i know that on the seventh day he rested and ceased from his work and that is a picture too that god ceased from his work of creation uh, on the seventh day, so that those two reasons um, are why I would land on the sixth day.
5: Okay, you think it's talking about like uh, a literal like day that we know it, or you think it's talking about more than a day? Or
3: sure, yeah, let me answer that, but let me warn you, I've got thirty seconds. I'm going to break, so let me answer that question on the other side of the break. But I'm going to let you go for now, and but I will answer. So keep stay tuned. We're going to break. We'll be back in two minutes' time. You're listening to Calvary Live.
0: Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now.
3: Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or things that have come up in your Bible reading that you're curious about, or if you have a prayer request, we'd love to hear from you and pray with you and pray for you. The number to call, 303-690-3000, that's 303-690-3000, or text us at 720-336-0897. Before we go back to our callers, I just want to take this opportunity to invite you personally to join us this coming Sunday at the church that I pastor which is in Longmont, Colorado, come and worship with us. Or or if you know people who live in Longmont, uh, send them our way. We'd love to have them here. God's doing a great thing at our church. Our church is called Whitefields Community Church, and we are right downtown in Longmont, like at 700 Longs Peak Avenue. So Longs Peak Avenue is basically 7th Avenue here in downtown Longmont, and we are one block west of Main Street. So you're going up Main Street or coming down Main Street. We are one block west of Main on the corner of Kaufman and Longspeak Avenue, the northwest corner of Kaufman and Longspeak Avenue. The address is 700 Longspeak Avenue, and you can find directions and you can listen to our messages, our past sermons, and you can get more information about our church at our website, which is WhitefieldsChurch.com. That's WhitefieldsChurch.com. And we'd love to have you come worship with us. We're going to be studying uh, Romans. We're continuing the book of Romans. We're going to be studying uh, chapter 14 coming up soon. And uh, we just, it's, God's doing a good thing at our church. We'd love for you to be part of it. We have a great children's ministry that your kids can get involved in. And, uh, and the great, uh, great ministries for the whole, you know, whatever age you are. We have ministries for every age and, and, uh, and stage of life. So let's, uh, I wanted to answer one question. We've got full lines right now, but I do want to answer uh, one question which was um from our previous caller and he was asking me uh, about adam and eve and then his question right before the break was do i think that the days in genesis are literal days or do i think that they lasted more than an a 24-hour period okay my take on it is this two so the quick answer i i do believe they were 24-hour days um I think from a theological point of view. And so this is the thing I always emphasize to people. Hey, you know, I'm not a scientist. I'm a theologian, but from a theological point of view, it seems to be, uh, making it pretty clear to us that the way that we understand day is meant to be understood as a day. Um, but you know what? I have some really good friends who are involved with, um, creation ministries and, um, Intelligent Design Ministries and they would argue that, you know, you can also make the case and and again This is not compromising anything the Bible says they would say that these are speaking of epics Now they would make it very clear that they do not believe in what is called theistic evolution They they do not believe in that at all. They believe in creation But they just believe that uh, there were these days which are spoken of are, are meant to refer to epics now I don't know enough about that. But from a theological perspective, I would just say here's the really important thing that a lot of people miss about Genesis chapter 1 is that Genesis chapter 1 is not written in prosaic form. It's written in poetic form. And the Jews even call it the song of creation. So it's meant to be a beautiful poem. and But here's the thing. That also doesn't mean that it shouldn't be taken literally. Okay, so uh, those things are not exclusive. So we should understand it's meant to be a poem, not a science book. And yet that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be taken literally. And so personally, I believe it it can be taken poetically and literally at the same time. Other people would argue for this uh, theory of epics. Um, so that's my take on it. I do. I do actually think it was a 24 hour period. Uh, I hope that answers your question. Uh, Stephen, thank you for the call. Let's go to our next caller, Kim in Westminster, Pennsylvania. Hi, Kim. Welcome to the program.
6: Hi, Pastor. It's good to talk to you.
3: Yeah, thanks for calling in what's up?
6: Um, so I have a question about hypnosis whether or not um, it's addressed specifically in the Bible Okay, or is it kind of a gray area?
3: So I I will say that I don't know that hypnosis is ever addressed Directly, but I will say that there are some things that are more indirect that we can that we can um, infer okay, so number one uh, one of the fruits of the Spirit Is Self-control so we read that in Galatians chapter 5 it talks about the fruits of the Spirit and it talks about self-control And so uh, in Ephesians chapter 5 tells us not to be filled with wine in which is dissipation But we are to be uh, Filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're not to be under the influence of a substance The only thing we are to be under the influence of the controlling influence of is the Holy Spirit And so I think right there we have the key issue are you under the influence of um, some other person or some state where you are no longer in control of yourself? Maybe someone else is controlling you or, you know, some kind of mind control type thing. Uh, I think the Bible makes it pretty clear that the only outside influence we should ever be under the control of should be the Holy Spirit. So I think for me, that settles the issue on hypnosis. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think if I have one more thing to tell you, because I'm looking at something right now. Okay, Okay. yeah, so this was the thing that I had come across, is that there's this guy named, uh, he's called the Father of Hypnotism. His name is Franz Anton Mesmer, and it's from his Mm -hmm. name that we get the word mesmerize. And so he was a practitioner of the occult, and he would use uh, his method of getting people into a trance. is very similar to the method he used for seances. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say that just because he was uh, into that stuff doesn't mean that everything he did was therefore necessarily corrupt. But, um, but the idea that this person, you know, developed this practice, um, just, I would say, number one, not necessary for us as Christians. Number two, um, potentially dangerous. And, And then number three, and maybe the most importantly, it seems to go in contradiction to what the Bible says about being in control of ourselves, except that the Holy Spirit should have uh, ultimate control over us.
6: Right.
5: What was what was the man's name again that you mentioned?
3: His name is Franz Anton Mesmer.
6: Okay. Anton, so. thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah,
3: you bet. God bless you. Okay. All right, Great. bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Katie from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm taking your calls and texts on the air today. Looks like we've got one open line now that uh, Kim has dropped, so the number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. And let's go to Rhonda in Columbia, Maryland. Hi, Rhonda. Welcome to the program.
6: Oh, hi. Thank you. Um yeah, I just – I listen to the program periodically while I'm driving, and I heard the phone number, and I said, let me call in, let me call in.
3: <laughs> anyway,
6: um, I probably don't have so much of a question, but um, I guess it's a concern and, and for, for a prayer. Um, I've been going through a lot for the last few years, um, had worked a long time, 11 and a half years, a straight commission job. And there were some good years and there were some bad years. It was kind of up and down. And, um, you know, some of, some of the down years, you know, kind of took, took a toll. <clears throat> and then I was um, let go after 11 and a half years. They did a workforce, what they call reduction. So last year I was laid off. And then um, I took another job that was in sales as well, but a little bit unrelated, um, doing business sales, but in a different field. And I got let go from that job. So within a year, I got a year and one day, I got laid off from two jobs. Mm. So, you know, so there was income loss, layoff, you know, you know what late, you know what unemployment pays, which is not much. Mm. And there was things that had happened prior to that. I had to, you know, a lot of stuff with the income and major car issues, to know it was a money pit. I mean, I had to, ended up putting an engine in a car, mm-hmm. and it just was one thing after another, and I, I'm tapped out. That's, okay. that's all there is to it. I'm tapped out. So, you know, everything, whatever I had, I don't have, you know, to to take care of things, and believe it or not, I just, I just take care of what I can, which are the major things. And so there's stuff I you know, they're they're just by the wayside. I can't worry about it. I <clears throat> even had talked to an attorney about, you know, some of the things. He says well, you can only do what you can do, you know, pay, you know, pay what's the most necessary. So that's what I've been doing. And um, you know, a lot of I'm getting a lot of harassing calls. I'm getting um I just found out I got a thing in the mail from an attorney. And he was soliciting for business because, he's ta- you know, he wrote in there that I'm being sued by a particular creditor, which is not even the original creditor. It's a collection agency. Okay. Mm. So, this so you're, is,
3: you're this telling is, me that you're being sued by somebody? Yes. And okay, I okay. have
6: not received papers. I haven't, you know, gotten any, um, you know, I haven't gotten served anything, haven't gotten any certified letter anything like that. But it was verified. I even called the state's attorney's office just to make sure. And then before that, in the, earlier this month, <clears throat> my brother, who has an unrelated last name, you know, we, we have different names, and he lives out of state, somebody from this, this collection place, which I read a lot of nasty things about them online, and a lot of it is um, people had reported them, mm. and they were saying that they think they're scammers, Scam collectors, yes, and I, and a lot of stuff I am going to I'm gonna have to,
3: I'm um, going to have to cut you off a little bit because, uh, man, I'm sure there's a ton to this, but um, I have a couple other callers, and um, so I would love to pray for you. It sounds like it's a tough situation. Um, I'm glad that you're getting some some legal help, but uh, ultimately, let's just pray and ask God to move and work in this situation. Yeah,
1: it's just.
3: Okay, well, let's do it. Heavenly Father, I pray for Rhonda, and I, I just hear her frustration and uh, her heart, and it reminds me of the Apostle Paul uh, when he was being treated unfairly, when it seemed like nothing was going his way. He wanted to do one thing, and he wanted to, it was a good thing that he wanted to do, and yet he just kept running into all kinds of brick walls and legal trouble and people treating him badly. And yet, Lord, we can look beyond that and we can see that in the end, you used even that situation for good. We remember uh, a guy like Joseph in the Bible who who ends up um, in jail. And then the guy who said he would help him get out of jail forgets about him and doesn't even help him and it's just these situations that when we're going through them are so incredibly frustrating but Lord it's times like this when we we trust in your sovereignty and your providence and we we trust that even in your silence and the times when it seems that you are sometimes absent it, it seems it's important that we um in, in silence and absence we remember Lord that Your silence does not mean absence. And and that when it seems like you're far away, sometimes that is when you're doing your most profound work. And so we cling to your promises, Lord, uh, like in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where it says that you are working all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And so, Lord, I I pray that you would be with Rhonda and that you would uh, bless her. Bless her with a good job. Bless her with a stable job. And also bless her uh, in this legal situation that justice would be done for the good of her uh for your glory we pray in Jesus name amen amen thank you Rhonda and God bless you thanks for calling in you're listening to Calvary Live this is Pastor Nick Katie from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont Colorado let's go to John in Denver Colorado hi John welcome to the program
2: hey pastor uh, i got a quick question yep um so should uh, the body of Christ and churches participate in uh Halloween. Should
3: participate
2: uh, in halloween you know mm-hmm. i was doing some reading and in romans uh, 12 2 um it says do not be conformed to the world
3: yeah okay yeah so good romans, and acceptable yeah romans twelve two. i i just taught on that last well uh-huh. actually my assistant taught my assistant pastor worship pastor he taught on that Uh, Two Sundays ago and yeah, don't be conformed to the world. He goes on in chapter 13 to say a lot of other things that are really important in that context. I just taught Uh on it this past Sunday. If you're interested, check out that message on our website. But I talk about how can we, how should we relate to culture? And I reference a book, a very famous book that's been written. It's kind of a classic work on this subject. And it's called Christ in Culture by a guy named Richard Niebuhr. And he outlines five different ways that Christians have historically related to society and culture but it's worth noting you know different ways that christians have done that and uh he takes he gives five options he says the ones on the far extremes are kind of outside of the realm of of biblical christianity but the three in the middle you know there's a there's a spectrum and a, a variation in which are those three are considered truly christian and biblical responses to culture <clears throat> and yet they they address culture in different ways you know like like the one side would be those people who say you know, as Christians, we should do our thing, let the world do their own thing, but we don't need to participate in it. We have our own counterculture and, uh, and you know, we don't get involved in politics and these kind of things. On the other hand, you have some Christians who believe it's absolutely their Christian duty to do the work of God by getting involved in politics and creating a society that's fair and just. And so both of those are within the realm. You could make a case for both of those biblically, a solid case. And that's kind of his point. It's a, it's a, good book it's worth reading and considering right um but in this question uh you know that comes up again in in chapter 13 of romans Mm -hmm. where he's talking about you know how do we function as christians in society and what he says yeah he absolutely says do not be conformed to the world but yet on the other hand don't disengage from the world either and so uh, like in john chapter 17 right jesus says i don't I don't pray for my disciples. I don't pray for my people that you would take them out of the world, but I pray that yeah. you would watch over them in the world and protect them from the evil one. And he says, mm-hmm. "Just as you sent me into the world on a mission, now I'm sending them into the world on a mission." And what is that mission? Right? It's to take the good news of the gospel to everyone everywhere. And so okay. we got to keep all those things in mind. And then I, yeah. to answer your question, should we participate in Halloween in any way, whether it's through harvest festivals or trunk-or-treat festivals? Um, here's my answer. I think that you can kind of go either way. I don't think that it's categorically wrong for churches who do this, but it, it, the question is, why do they do it? So I if think the a, one thing that I... Go ahead.
2: I think the one thing that um, hasn't been recognized with a lot of Christians is the, the history of, of that day and where it originated um, and what it really meant back then and how it's changed you know over the thousands of years to where it's currently today
3: yeah um, I agree with that each I... little,
2: which which every little thing that we do as a uh, society um, and what we've been adopted into um, literally has some very bad things behind it um, you know I'm a believer and I was looking at some things recently, and there are some local churches. Um, I won't say who they are, um, but the thing was is some are participating in it and changing the name. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, well, oh, oh, okay. But if, at the same time, you know, there's another church that's also affiliated with the ones that are doing it that aren't doing it. Right. So, so you know, so I think there's me, uh, some wisdom with them. There's, let me, let me some, just uh, uh, give you my that two cents on it. Lacked.
3: Yeah. Here's my two cents. Just because this holiday might have some some underpinnings or some history that uh, regard, you know, comes from uh, people doing things which are evil, witchcraft, that kind of stuff. The fact is, like like I was saying on the show last week, I had a similar question and, you know, somebody's asking me and I'm like, look, if my two year old dresses up like a dog and goes and asks my neighbor for some candy. Um, I'm there's really no evil going on there at all and there's no witchcraft and nothing like that and um, and so I think that that here's the question should we be taking every opportunity that we have in our culture to preach the gospel and I would say yes with some with some wisdom right like there must be some limit to it and some wisdom like uh, you know I might not go to the Pride Festival and 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 have a booth But uh, I might, you know, take advantage of Halloween. So I would say as as far as churches having big events, that's one thing. But as far as um, individuals doing things in in their neighborhoods, this is really what we encourage people to do in our church. We say, look, this is the one day a year when all of your neighbors are going to come to your house and knock on your door. And actually, this is why our church, we don't even encourage people to do. We don't do an alternative event on Halloween. Uh, first of all, because actually I kind of agree with you a little bit that, you know, we don't need to celebrate the, all the holidays and we don't need to celebrate this holiday. But I do encourage people, stay at home and, and don't hide in your basement and turn off your lights. But actually, when the kids come to your door with their costumes on, go out there, meet your neighbors. They're co- this is the one day a week when all your neighbors are coming to your house uh, and the families. And so what we do is we actually provide tracks from Crossway. I I believe that not all tracks are created equal. We really love Crossway. And so Crossway tracks, we get Crossway tracks from the, we order them online and then we hand them out to people at church and we say, hey, when kids come to your door for candy, give them some candy, give them some good and, and also give them one of these and say, hey, read this. And, it, you know, they are tracks that are for kids, and the parents can read them too. And we use the opportunity to share the gospel. My wife and I, we put out our fire pit right on our driveway, and we just invite neighbors, the adults and the kids, to come over. We cook hot dogs, we make coffee, and we try to use it as the opportunity to reach out to people in our community because, again, this is the one day of the year when all of your neighbors are okay with you going up and ringing their doorbell, and they're okay with... Uh, and, and you know, they're coming to your house to ring your doorbell. So let's take the opportunity to reach out to our neighbors in Jesus' name. Now, as far as churches doing events, uh, again, I really think it gets down to a point of, of motivation and what they're doing and why they're doing it. But I do love this quote that I heard uh, from somebody, and it made me think a lot about this topic, especially regarding evil and the, the things related to Halloween. Here's what this person said. They said, If Jesus can go straight to hell, stare death and devil in the face and win and come back alive, then why can't we open our doors to the six-year-old in the Batman costume and his shivering mom? I think that we can. I think that Jesus has overcome evil, that he is uh, Christus Victor. He is uh, Christ the victor. He has won the battle against sin and evil. He has defeated them. He has, you know, taken out their teeth And uh, and he leads them in victorious procession is what we're told in first Corinthians. And so I I would just encourage us in that way. Let's take this opportunity. Evil has been defeated in Jesus. You know, the day the new day is dawning very soon when what has been done on the cross, we will experience the fullness of that reality. And let's use every opportunity we have right here and now to reach out to people in Jesus' name and bring the good news of the gospel to our communities. But thank you for the question. I know there's so many people who are wondering about this. So thanks, John. and God bless you. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We are coming up on the last couple minutes of our show. Let's go to Cameron in Erie, Colorado. Hi, Cameron. Welcome to the program. Cameron. Looks like we might have lost Cameron, but I do have a comment from the producer here, so I'll just read that. Cameron had a comment on the six days uh, thing that we were talking about earlier were those actual literal 24-hour periods, and Cameron mentions that there was sunrise and there was sunset. It says that in um, chapter one. There was sunrise and there was sunset on the days of the week, and that's how the days were measured. So, Cameron, that is one of the reasons why I also believe that these were literal days, but I'll tell you how those who don't believe they were literal days, how they explain that or how they understand it. And again, that goes back to the fact, which is, it's just really a fact that should be acknowledged that Genesis chapter one is written as a form of poetry. And, um, and so the question is, should we, um, should we um, read it as scientific Or should we read it as poetry? And um, like I said, I don't think that we have to choose one or the other. I think that we can say that we read it as poetry and it's also meant to be taken literally. But that's where those people would come from, where they would say, um, you know, yeah, this is just trying to give a poetic description. You know, like Paul, for example, I'm sorry, David, for example, writes in the Psalms, uh, I was swimming in my tears. Well, was he literally swimming in his tears? No, I mean he—he's using a word picture there. He's using something that we're familiar with. We're familiar with swimming. We're familiar with tears, and using it to describe that he had a lot of tears. So the question is, should we read Genesis one in that way, or should we read it literally? Now, again, I think that we can read it as both, but I'm just telling you that that's where people are coming from who say that uh, it may not—it may be an epic. Or an epoch, however you pronounce that, and not a literal twenty four hour period. That's where they're coming from. But like I said, I think my take on it is you can read it both poetically and prosaically at the same time. And uh and personally that's that's what I like to do. I think one of the driving things when we read the Bible and interpret the Bible, one of the ways one of the kind of guiding principles that we follow is that where the Bible speaks clearly, we understand it and obey it clearly. Right? In other words, so the Bible is giving us a clear meaning. This is actually one of Martin Luther's things that he taught during the Reformation. he He called it you know the the clear reading uh, he called it perspicuity of Scripture, which means the the clarity of scripture. in other words if the, if the Bible says there was morning and there was evening on the first day, then we are intended by God to believe that and and, and so when the Bible says anything that it makes it very clear. We should just use our common sense and try to understand that as clearly as possible. And that most of the time that is exactly what it means is what it says. So I, ho- I hope that makes sense. It's called the Perpiscuity of Scripture. It was a major tenet of the Reformation and Martin Luther himself. So let's go. It looks like we have a call uh, from Jesse in uh, Traverse City, New Jersey. But Jesse couldn't stay on the air. So wanted to answer this one off the air. When a believer dies, does he go straight to heaven? Good question. This is one that we've had uh, a lot of people ask. Jesse, here's the here's the deal. Um, Paul says in First Cor- or Second Corinthians, actually, he says, you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said to the guy on the cross next to him, "Today you will be." Oh, it looks like Jesse's available to be on the air. Hey, let's put him on the air. Hey, Jesse, are you here? Yes. How All are? right. Hey, I already started answering your question, um, but. Uh, I didn't realize that you were available to be on the air. I thought you couldn't uh, do it. So your question, when a believer dies, they go straight to heaven. Two Bible verses just off the top of my head. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Second uh, one I want to bring to mind is Matthew says to the thief on the cross, I'm sorry, in Matthew, Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. In paradise. And, and so here's the deal. Here's how it kind of works. And this is going to probably take more time than we have for me to explain this to you. But let me let me do my best. Um, Jesus talks about this thing in, in Luke chapter 16, where he talks about how there's Hades, which I'm sorry, not Hades, Sheol. So the Bible uses this term Sheol. Sheol is the dwelling place of the dead. Now, especially in Old Testament times, right, you had the dwelling place of the dead. That's where everybody who dies went. Now, we learn also that the dwelling place of the dead, Sheol, is divided into two areas, right? On the one hand, you have what's called Abraham's bosom. This is where those who die in faith go within Mm -hmm. Sheol. Then there's another area in Sheol called Hades, which is a place of torment, uh, but also within the dwelling place of the dead, right? And so... Mm -hmm. What happens that we see there in Luke 16 that there's no way to cross over between that separation within Sheol, whichever one you're in. But then we see that Jesus, when he comes, it says that he led the captives free. It says in Ephesians that he descended into earth and ascended into heaven and he led the captives in his train. And so what it's describing, I believe that if you put it all together, here's what it's describing. That Jesus, during the time when he was uh, you know, in the grave, Jesus descended into Sheol. And he led free those who were waiting in Abraham's bosom for the salvation that he brought. And he led them up to the presence of God. So if you die, you will be in the presence of God, I believe, immediately. We see that in Revelation, by the way. Those people die, and then they go up, and they're with the presence of God. But here's the thing. It says that there will be a final event. Theological terms called the eschaton, right? And so the eschaton, the final event. And what happens is that when Jesus returns... At the end of all things, and you know, it says that Hades, says this in the end of Revelation, Hades will be emptied into the lake of fire. And it says that, uh, and, and I believe that that is the time when we see the new heavens and the new earth come down. So what we experience now if we die is not the fullness of heaven. It's, it is heaven, but is not what it will be with the new heavens and the new earth after the second coming of Jesus. We've come to the end of our show. Uh, you've been listening to Calvary Live. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'll be with you again soon. God bless you and have a great evening.